What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Brennan is out today. As you all know, listening at home, Brennan is a massive uh, Boston Celtics fan. So he is busy crying himself to sleep because the Kings just beat the Boston Celtics. Uh, really clutch performance down at the end there. Uh, I, mean, I mean, we are also going to be talking about the Lakers game as well. So we've got a couple really nice uh, recaps to go over here. But on Friday night, the Lakers beat the Kings 99-97, uh, came down to a tough play. And then just now, the Kings beat the Celtics 100-99. to um, So we got a special guest on here today to help fill Brendan's shoes. He lives near Boston, but he is not a Boston Celtics fan. Tony Zipteris, how are you doing today? Richard, I'm doing well. I'm doing great, actually. I mean, I, you know, a lot of friends talking to me about the game today. Like you said, I, I'm born and raised uh, in the suburbs of Boston. All my friends are Celtics fans. Um, this is usually a game that we either target to watch together or when they play in Boston, I'll try and make it uh, into the city to go watch them. Did not expect to win today, especially without De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. But uh, boy, what a what a pleasant surprise that victory was today. Yeah, definitely. Let's start with the Celtics game, and then we can go back and touch on the Lakers game as well, which, you know, I think we just start with the encouraging – we'll start with the win. I mean, why not? Um, yeah. It was a pretty incredible game, and, I mean, I th- you know, Bogdan played really well down the line too, but this just felt like the Buddy Heald takeover game. Yeah, and didn't he need one of these? I mean, we've kind of been – I don't know if complaining is the right word, but Buddy Heel just hasn't been the guy he was last season or the guy that the Kings paid this summer. I think um, – I'll actually give credit to Brian Scalabrini and uh, Sean Grandy, the Celtics um, color and play-by-play guys, because you know, I'm forced to watch the Celtics feed because um, that's my market and you know everything else gets blacked out. But they had mentioned how uh, – like Brian Scalabrini in particular mentioned that he was not a fan of Buddy Heald anymore because of his comments about, you know, quote unquote, complaining about a hundred million dollar contract, which is not exactly what Buddy Heald did. But I thought it was interesting that even in Boston, um, like those comments by Buddy Heald rubbed people the wrong way. And, you know, you, you, I'm sure you see it on Twitter or comments um, from Kings Pulse and other fans, like people were pretty upset at how Buddy He'll treated his contract extension negotiations. And I, I don't know if that was part of why he has sort of been slumping to start the season, but it's difficult for Buddy Heald if, if you are, you know, you want to get paid, you, you finally do get paid and then you start the season off. Uh, I think at one point, you know, 
two or three games ago, he was shooting the worst three-point percentage of his entire career in the year he just got paid. So it was kind of a, I don't know, bad taste in everyone's mouths with Buddy Hill's season so far. And he had a, a great game today. I mean, point blank, they would not have won without him. They wouldn't have even been close. He built them out on multiple possessions down the stretch. Um, so great to see. For If anyone on this team needed a game like that, it was Buddy Hill that he came through in the, in the most important way. Yeah, cannot agree more. 35 points, my goodness. 14 to 24 from the field, 7 of 12 from three. Yeah, I mean, Buddy Heald had really, truly been struggling before this game, uh, you know, flirting with a, a sub-40 field goal percentage. And, you know, you still see the, the three-point shooting. It's still there. He was, you know, up around 39% on the year so far. So it's not like, you know, everything's gone wrong. But that still feels weirdly low for Buddy. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, and this is a get-right game for him. And like you said, I felt like he was kind of carrying this team at times. Definitely agree that the Kings would not have won this game without him. It's one of those games that's kind of hard to analyze because it's just like, it it sounds dumb, but the the best analysis you can kind of come away with uh, from this game with is just that, well, Buddy Heald played like an absolute superstar and, and kept him in this game. Yeah, and they got some key contributions to other players down the stretch. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who actually struggled a lot until about, you know, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter and his offense came alive. Although I will give Bogdan some credit, even when his shot wasn't falling. And this is why I, I love Bogdan so much, is that even when his shot isn't there and it wasn't for three quarters of the game today, he can still contribute offensively, creating for others. And I thought you saw, you know, Harry Giles had a, had a stretch in this game where he didn't look great trying to create his own offense, but then Bogdan got him two or three really easy buckets underneath the rim and his game picked up. And Bogdan did the same thing with Rashawn Holmes, getting in some easy buckets under the rim. So, and Corey Joseph, I thought was really good on Kemba Walker for stretches. Um, so while Buddy Heald did carry the offense, it was one of those games where you got a little bit from everything. I mean, Rashawn Holmes hit the game winning free throws and, you know, I watched Rashawn Holmes a little bit in Philadelphia, a little bit more in Phoenix, I don't even know what his free throw percentage is on the year. If you have the box score or the, the stats for the year, you can pull them up for me. It feels like he's hit almost every free throw. And those two clutch free throws today were, you know, just another thing. Where Buddy Heald had the numbers, but he had some help too. Yeah, I do have those numbers. He's, he was at 74% before this game. Uh, in the game, five of six. So, um, you know, he, he's – He's doing a lot better than we've seen a lot of Kings players do and doing a lot better than a lot of Kings big men do, to be sure. I thought it was really interesting that Marcus Smart kind of, you know, I'm not going to say he like blew the game because that's unfair, but it was his foul that put Holmes at the line. And then it mm-hmm. was his floater that impossibly rolled out. Um, and it's it's interesting because Smart is – He's such a high-energy, high-effort dude. And to me, Holmes is kind of the best the best king in that category as well. And he got it done. Yeah, and you that's kind of um, what we project Harry Giles to be in his best case, is that kind of like energy, tough, feisty guy. Uh, very similar to Marcus Smart, actually, with their demeanor on the court, never afraid to mix it up. And Marcus Smart had a great game, too. And that's what makes Buddy Heald's... Uh, clutch buckets down the stretch even more impressive is that he got them off of very, very good defense by Marcus Smart. I mean, Marcus Smart defended Buddy Heald as good as you possibly can on uh, Buddy's two last big buckets. And especially that fadeaway 
uh, on the baseline. You know, Buddy Heald is not a player you think of as, you know, you know necessarily a great off-the-dribble player. But Buddy Heald off the dribble um, in Marcus Smart's face on the baseline. Uh, those are the, those are the kind of shots that sometimes will get frustrated with Buddy when he misses them. And I think he had a couple of those against the Lakers down the stretch where not the greatest shot selection. Um, but when it goes in like it did tonight or this evening or whatever, this afternoon, um, against a defender like Marcus Smart, you just kind of, you know, obviously that's, that's the best version of Buddy Heald's heat check. Absolutely. And it does say a lot about him that he can – get into that zone where when everything's falling for Buddy Heald, he's just an unstoppable player. Um, mm, yeah. That's a quality that not every every guy has, obviously, and a quality that, you know, when when you see a Kings player be able to hit that level, um, it is massive just knowing that, you know, if the circumstances are right and everything lines up, we've got a guy that can beat any team on any given night. And I think that you're right, um, kind of saying that Bogey can hit that, mode as well you mentioned earlier that he he's really gotten his his teammates going um that is certainly true 10 assists tonight you know off the bench all these numbers are off the bench as well 10 assists tonight uh he had five against the lakers and then he had 10 as well at home against the trailblazers last friday so man i mean those are the three games since fox went down and so i'm gonna do some quick math in my head but i think that's like eight and a third assists per game since Fox has gone down. Uh, and there was some question about, I guess, you know, who's going to fill the shoes of De'Aaron Fox. Obviously, in terms of who's going to be starting at point guard, that's Ben Corey Joseph. But to me, a lot of the facilitation, a lot of the initiation of this offense is, in fact, going to, to Bogdan Bogdanovich. And so my question for you is, one, is that what you wanted to see? And two, now that you've seen it, how are you liking it? Uh, I think Bogdan, you're right. Of all the players that we kind of expected to step up in De'Aaron Fox's absence, Bogdan was the one that I both expected to and sort of hoped would because he was the guy that because he is in a bench role and, you know, you can only knock bench players so much. Like Lou Williams is an amazing bench player. So I'm not saying that, you know, bench players can't contribute like Bogdan has contributed since Fox went out of the lineup. But Watching Bogdan at the beginning of the year, especially those first five games where he really struggled, there was that feeling that he could do more. And then once Fox went down, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't he could do more. It was, all right, now the Kings need him to do more. And will he step up and fulfill that role? Can he, you know, how much of De'Aaron Fox's production can Bogdan provide? And I don't have the numbers in front of me of, of what he's done in those three games without Fox, but he's been fantastic. He was great in those first two games without Fox. Again, he struggled with his shot, at least during the first three quarters against Boston. But in the fourth quarter, when it counted with the game on the line, he was money again. So I couldn't be happier with how Bogdan has played. And I know, you know, everyone's calling him FIBA bogey right now, but that's what it feels like. It feels like he is stepping up into this leadership role on the court where they are very dependent on his creation for himself and for his teammates. And, you know, I'm, I was one of the people who thought that when De'Aaron Fox went down, that meant that the Kings were going to crumble unless Bogdan played at kind of FIBA bogey level. And I'm not saying that's the only reason why the Kings have been so good without Fox, but I think that's a huge part of it. You needed somebody to play at a level far above what they were producing before. And a lot of guys have made little step ups, but I think Bogdan has made the biggest leap um, since Fox went down. 
Yeah, and I think that it actually is pretty fair to say that the Kings would not be winning games if Bogey hadn't stepped up the way that he is. Um, he's been incredible. Uh, I, I know I've mentioned some of these numbers, but I will just again go over uh, the basic box scores since Fox has been out. 25-10, and 18-5, and 5, and 12-10 and 10 tonight. Um, a couple of steals in each and every game, including uh, four in the first game. So that's eight steals over those three games as well. And we know that steals isn't like a perfect predictor or um, a perfect model to talk about how well a player has played defensively. But I have personally been really impressed by his defense. You know, he, he may not be the best defender in the world, but you see it that like the effort on this, and I'll say this about the team in general, the effort I feel like defensively is, is absolutely there. Um, Me and Brendan talked about on our last episode, had a little mini debate over who the better defender was between Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich. I took the Bogdan side and Brendan took the Buddy Heald side. We actually put a uh, poll out there as well. And Bogdan won by a landslide. Is there anything that is stepping out of the off the page or off the screen to you about Bogey's defense? Uh, I actually did make a mental note in the Lakers game. Um, there's been a lot of debate, and it's it's a fair debate of if Bogdanovich can play the three, either full term, full term, short term, whatever. A lot of uh, fans and you know analysts and even the Kings' coaching staff, it seems, has been hesitant to try him there. Um, and a fear being that he will get overpowered by bigger threes around the league. And I watched him D up LeBron James against the Lakers a few times. And I'm not saying it was great, but the competitiveness was there and LeBron didn't abuse him. Um, now contrast that to what we saw tonight against the Celtics where Bogdan was matched up with Kemba Walker. I think Bogdan struggled a lot more against a smaller, quicker guard like Kemba Walker than he did against the bigger wings like LeBron James. And of course the sample size is tiny with this stuff, but this is the the first time we've seen Bogdan in, in sort of this new role. But I, I would agree with you that I don't think Bogdan's a bad defender at all. I would certainly take him over Buddy Heald. The way that I would sort of uh, separate those two is Buddy is capable of playing pretty good defense for stretches, but I feel like Buddy falls asleep way more than Bogdan does. And I don't know what that is, um, but I think you'll see more uh, egregious and noticeable errors out of Buddy where Bogdan is is mostly solid. He's rarely going to like shut a guy down. He's not going to, you know, pester somebody like a Corey Joseph or like a Marcus Smart. But I I never really get worried when I see Bogdan defending anyone just because I think he's he's pretty solid there. He's pretty fundamentally sound. He he's, keeps guys in front of him. He doesn't commit a lot of fouls either, which is a nice nice uh, attribute to a, to a defender. So I've never been blown away by Bogdan's defense, but I've never said like, oh, we got to get Bogdan off this guy. He's getting torched. That doesn't seem to happen either. Whereas Buddy, there's a many times, even this season already, where I'm just like, what are you doing, Buddy? Why are you leaving that shooter? Why are you helping here? Why aren't you helping there? And I don't see that as much with Bogey. That is totally fair. I definitely think that Buddy Heald's mistakes jump off the page more often. It's not necessarily just on defense. Um, we had a lot of it's, – it's hard to go a game or two without seeing Buddy Heald make some sort of error passing the ball or handling the ball. Um, mm-hmm. It's tough because we know he's a great player, and and so I don't want to be too heavy-handed with criticism, especially after a night like tonight. Like I can't, I can't sit here and criticize a guy who just scored thirty-five points and essentially won the game 
for the Kings, but he still has these glaring errors and they're what I termed weaknesses. And, uh, uh, our friend, uh, Omar Khan termed, uh, just things. <laughs> I forget what he said. They're not weaknesses by his measure, just things that you shouldn't expect from a player and fair enough. But yeah, I feel like bogey is just like solidly competent at all times in all areas. And he may not have that super, that one elite skill, but um, you know, that, that buddy does with shooting. But I think that that's kind of the dichotomy where do you want a guy who has one elite skill in one area or do, would you prefer a guy that is kind of more well-rounded and, so I'll expand this debate a little bit now and ask you, Tony, who do you think is the better player between Bogdan Bogdanovich and Buddy Heald? I know it's a, it's kind of a silly question because, hey, they're both on the Kings and they both can be utilized. There's no reason to need to know the answer to this question, but by your measure, is there any separation there? Uh, so I'm the, I could not be more supportive of Bogdan. I love his game. I love players to do everything. That's like, that's, that's the Tony player right there. And that's kind of why this is, I'm kind of meaning myself right now. That's kind of why I've always appreciated Tyreek Evans is because he's a guard, a big guard who can play multiple, multiple positions legitimately. You're not like forcing him into multiple positions, which is also what bogey can do. He can shoot, he can drive, he can pass and he can defend. And those are all things that bogey can do. He's not one dimensional like buddy. That being said, I can't sit here and say that Bogdan Bogdanovich is a better player than Buddy Heald. I still think Buddy is better. I think he has the contract to sort of back it up. I know it's not all about money, and part of it is just how, you know, Buddy came into the league a year earlier, so of course he got paid a year earlier. Or Wait, is that even true? No, they were both up for extensions, but Bogdan was capped at how much you can make, so that's why Bogdan didn't get his extension and Buddy got his. But I still think I'd be very surprised if Bogdan got a contract the size of Buddy. So I just think in general, Buddy's a more valuable NBA player. I think most people, most teams would value him higher. Saying all that, saying that Buddy's probably better, what do I prefer as in a basketball player? I do prefer the Bogdan Bogdanovich type of player who, when he's not scoring, like we saw for three quarters today in Boston, he can do other things. He can get his teammates involved. He's really not going to hurt you with mental errors. His Better shot selection, in my opinion. Then again, if you shoot it like Buddy Heald, you can afford to have worse shot selection because some of your bad shots are going to go in. Again, like we saw tonight against Marcus Smart down the stretch. So, you know, if, if anyone wants to argue that Buddy's the better player, that's fine with me. I think that's the consensus. I think that's probably true. But as far as the player that I like to watch, the player that I want to pay, um, I'm still preferential to, uh, to Bogdan. And I think this year has made that more of a debate. Because Buddy has struggled, and while Bogdan struggled for the first five games, I think since then, Bogdanovich has been almost lights out in terms of giving you exactly what you need from him, whereas Buddy has still sort of been up and down. Again, a great game tonight. So I think the sample size is is probably too small to say that because Bogdan has had a better year that he's the better player. I don't think that's totally fair either. So again, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I still think Buddy's probably the better player. He probably is. But that doesn't take away for how much I, I appreciate and how much love I have for Bogdanovich's ability to kind of do everything out there on offense. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. 
Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I think a reason that this conversation is worth having is just considering that, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that both players are shooting guards in their ideal situation and both players are really almost the exact same age. Bogey is four months older than Buddy. Um, but I mean, really, I mean, these are shooting guards that are, you know, about 27 years old. And so it's interesting that one team would have both guys and they feel like a very similar uh, level of skill and they're both up for extensions this year. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, you brought that up and, and I and I hadn't even been thinking about that, but in terms of contract, do we, you know, hmm, obviously Bogey, if he really felt like he was only worth, uh, you know, about four years, 52 million, he would have taken that deal already. It, would have, it, it wouldn't be worth talking about, but he is betting on himself. He wants more than that. What number would you be comfortable uh, at bringing him back at, considering that we know, you know, how Buddy Heald's contract negotiation went uh, with likely incentives that'll put him at uh, 94 million over four years? Would you be comfortable with giving Bogdan the same exact contract? It's so tough to say only, what, 12 games into the year. It's so – I mean, it's going to be largely dependent on how he produces and how the, how far the Kings go. Like, if the Kings – the Kings are on a pretty good track right now. I mean, they're 5-7. and seven. They got a couple easier games coming up. They could be 500 by the end of the month. Don't want to jinx them. But they've been playing really, really good basketball considering how terrible their start was. And if Bogdan is a key contributor to, to all that, like a as big of a piece as he is right now, if he continues to be that big of a piece all year, there is not really a number I would not match in restricted free agency. A realistic number, I would say, because I don't think he's ever going to get the max. He's not going to get the opportunity to get the max. I mean, even now with De'Aaron Fox out of the lineup, he's still coming off the bench. Assuming he comes off the bench for the rest of the year, which wouldn't shock me at all, because if, if you were ever going to start him, to me, now seems like the time. And Luke Walton has seemed like he's in no rush to, to pull the trigger on that. Um, for a bench player, I just, I'm hesitant to put a number on it because I have no idea what the figure will look like. But I do not think there will be a realistic offer out there for him that I wouldn't match, especially when you're the Kings. You can't generally bring in outside free agents of Bogdanovich's talent level. You certainly can't afford to lose him for nothing. Sign in trades are really hard to negotiate. Um, so from my view, and I hope there's nothing that prevents this from happening this summer, there isn't a realistic offer a team could, could, could send to Bogdanovich that I wouldn't immediately match. They need to keep him. They need to keep the talented players that want to be here, here. And with the connection between Vlade and Serbia and, and Bielica, you know, it just seems to make way too much sense for Bogdanovich to be on any other team but the Kings moving forward. Absolutely. And you mentioned Bogdanovich being your type of player. Uh, I also know you've got a type of lineup or a, a patented Tony Zipteris lineup as also promoted by Omer Khan. Big shouts out, Omer, on Twitter. Um, tell us about the lineup that you, you wanted to see when you heard that Fox went down. All right, I'll start off with this. Um, <laughs> it feels kind of petty talking about 
uh, changing Lou Walton's lineups um, now after seeing how well they played in Fox's absence. Again, I was someone that expected this team to sort of fall apart without uh, Bagley and then without Fox. I, I did not see them playing this well against two elite teams like the Lakers and the Celtics in back-to-back games. Did not see it. So right now, I don't think Luke Walton really has any reason to change anything. He's pushing all the right buttons. All credit to him. All right. With that disclaimer being said, when Fox went out of the lineup, uh, just talking to other members of STR, we always kind of bounce ideas off of each other, see what they think the Kings should do. This is all fun anyways. I mean, we like talking about basketball. So just in talking to the guys, uh, the boys. lineup that I wanted to see, yeah, the lineup that I wanted to see was uh, Corey Joseph at point guard, keep all that the same. Buddy Hill at shooting guard, keep all that the same. Uh, move Bogdan Bogdanovich at the three. Move Harrison Barnes down to the four. Keep Rashawn Holmes there at the five. And why that seemed to make the most sense to me, and I think we are seeing why that logic made sense, is that the offense without De'Aaron Fox, the starting lineup offense, just has no creation. And that has, I mean, that has been true. Uh, looking at Corey Joseph and Corey Joseph's numbers since entering the starting lineup in three games without De'Aaron Fox, he's playing 30 minutes a game, so he's certainly getting the opportunity to produce. Um, and he's averaging 2.3 points and 3.7 rebounds. That lack of production for a point guard at 30 minutes a night is almost hard to fathom. I, I cannot understand how the Kings are winning and competing in these games, particularly when it's starters versus starters with that little production from point guard. Now, credit to Corey Joseph. I think he's playing some really great defense right now. I think he, is, he has the offense playing in a much slower but much smarter way. Uh, but I still think that starting lineup, even for as well as they played and as, for as much as I praised Luke Walton through this three-game stretch of the Fox, I think Bogdanovich fixes a lot of the creating and scoring issues that, again, we are seeing. I mean, clearly there is some issue with creation when your point guard is averaging, again, in 30 minutes, uh, two points and 3.7 assists. And I don't want to hammer Joseph too much because, again, I think his defense has been awesome. I think overall he's been a a really steady point guard in De'Aaron Fox's place. And sometimes just by virtue of having a more veteran guy at point guard, um, that can help your offense. I mean, De'Aaron Fox, as a third-year player, doesn't have the championship experience or just plain NBA experience that Corey Joseph has. So I don't want to – you know, just look at Corey Joseph's numbers and make it seem like that's his only value to this team. I do think there is just value of being a veteran point guard uh, kind of guiding this team to wins. Um, but yeah, that's what I would do. And, and I understand the criticism of that. People are hesitant to move Bielitsa out of the starting lineup because he's been so good. But I think Omer actually made this point and I agree with him. For as good as Bielitsa's been, I think that production can be even better when he's up against bench players where some of his issues defensively are less important. He's not going to get torched by bench fours, but he has struggled and continues to struggle against some starting fours. And I think if you move Harrison Barnes down to the four, he's a, a better defender against some of the uh, more perimeter-oriented fours, starting fours around the league. And I think with Corey Joseph, uh, to me, is an upgrade over De'Aaron Fox as a defender in the starting lineup. So you are you know, upgrading your defense in two spots, being point guard with Corey Joseph, at the power forward with Harrison Barnes and you are probably downgrading your defensive three because it was Harrison Barnes. Now it's Bogdan Bogdanovich, but I think what he's giving you in creation and scoring for the starters would be more valuable than what he's taking away out of your defense. So that was sort of the idea behind the lineup. Again, 
the Kings have played much better than I thought they would, kind of staying the course and just putting Joseph in there instead of Fox. So, again, feel kind of petty complaining about lineups at this point. But that was the idea behind the lineup. And I still think, you know, the principles behind why you would make, make that change make a lot of sense. Well, yeah. I mean, let me slow you down here because I, th- I think that you are being overly defensive of your take here because, yeah, man, I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, I've, 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 been, I've made note of this. I don't have the perfect, um, the, the full rotations in front of me, but I'm pretty damn sure that your lineup has been the closing lineup of all three of these games. And it has. Been, I, have made, I have noted that as well. That is two wins and a very close loss against, you know, we'll throw the Trailblazers out of there for right now, but, you know, the, the best team in the West record-wise and the best team in the East record-wise, you know, those are two really impressive games, and it was closed out by the lineup that you have been championing. championing. So, I mean, unless your, your argument was saying, like, that lineup – should just be the starters and nothing else. I think that you have a really, really valid point. Yeah, I guess at the beginning it was, I would like these guys to start, but as everyone says, and it is a fact, who closes the game is more important than who starts the game. My worry was that the starting lineup, the one that they're using right now with Holmes, Bielitsa, Barnes, Buddy, and Joseph, my worry is that the Kings will get off to these incredibly slow starts that the bench unit, once Bogey came in and, and played as well as, as he's been playing, would not be able to overcome every single night. And I've been making a note of this too because I've been watching it very closely, just how the lineups are performing. And today, when Bogdan checked in, in the, at the end of the first quarter, the Kings were up. So that hasn't been happening. You know, I thought the starters were going to get torched. I thought the starters wouldn't be able to uh, get buckets but they've been making that up with, with pretty good defense. I thought the defensive effort today in the first quarter against the Celtics was fantastic. And I think you can give Joseph some credit for that. So that was really my concern was, will the starters be able to keep the game close long enough for Walton to get into the, the different rotations where you're seeing that lineup close? Um, yeah. The starters are the same night. In the flow of the game, the rotation changes to what Walton thinks the team needs. But if you're getting behind 10 points every first quarter – Walton's adjustments are going to be uh, much more difficult to have work because you're just you're losing. Um, but that hasn't been yeah. the case. The starters have been doing doing a pretty good job as is. Yeah, I, I think that in the Portland game, it started off poorly. Yeah, and and I think that you your case was only strengthened by that. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of Corey Joseph right now. I do. I appreciate that he is a steady hand on the wheel, kind of. You know, like. But again, the numbers, like you said, the points are low, but it's not just points. It's, you know, it's efficiency as well. He's the last three games, one of five, one of five, one of six. So since Fox went down, his field goal percentage is about 18%. Yeah, I have it in front of me. It's 15, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's so like, low. Yeah, that's crazy low. That, like, it is crazy low for that to be the, the field goal percentage of a functioning team that has won two games and lost another close one to a very good team. Is he – what are your thoughts on Joseph, uh, like, on the whole this season? Has he been a disappointment? Because I, th- I think that it's fair to say he's been disappointing so far. So I I forget. I was on uh, – I think it was probably the Sacktown Realty Show where I think Brad asked me something like, you know, what's one hot take? And it wasn't even a hot take, but I just kind of threw out 
that I think Corey Joseph was going to be like a fan favorite by the end of the year because I was such a fan of his signing. And I think you were too. I think we were both kind of uh, championing the Kings signing of yeah. veteran. Brandon as well. Yeah, we were really, we were actually really, really high on all three of these signings, all, all four of these signings. Yeah, and it's actually kind of incredible how two of the of the bigger ones, him and Deadman, have both been at least statistical disappointments. I think Deadman has kind of been a disappointment across the board. Whereas Joseph, here's the thing, like all the numbers for Joseph are so bad that a part of me wants to just look at the numbers and say that he's been a, a massive disappointment. But I, so I've been uh, I've been listening to Bill Simmons's uh, Book of Basketball 2.0, 2.0 podcasts. Awesome, super recommend them to anybody uh, who likes basketball. He had Steve Kerr on, and they were talking about the importance of like team and team building and and guys who provide value beyond the box score and how you know sometimes analytics are misunderstood and the numbers don't tell the whole side of the story, which we all know. I mean, that's, that's obvious. I'm not some guy here who just looks at the numbers and says, all right, these the guys that needs to play. I mean, that's, that's not like a, a hot take to say the numbers don't mean everything, but I think hearing Kerr talk about it and, and the other legends that Simmons has had on the podcast has made that fresh in my mind that sometimes the numbers don't make sense. And that's kind of what I'm clinging on to with Corey Joseph because, again, you look at the numbers. 30 minutes a game since Fox went out, 2.3 points. He's shooting 15% from the field, which is astronomically low. Like, that's an impossible field goal. That I'm safe to say yeah. 15%. But he must be doing something right. Like, that's, that's kind of yeah. where I come back to. Like, there has to be a value to what he is bringing for him to be playing that many minutes, producing at that horrible rate, and the Kings are playing well. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm conflicted between how bad the numbers look to how well the Kings are playing. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about Corey Joseph? I feel like he's a hard player to discuss right now for those reasons I just laid out. Yeah. Um, I realized that I read one of those, those stat lines wrong. Yeah, the one for – I said one of five, one of five, one of six. It's one of five, one of nine, one of six. <laughs> that's how you get down to that 15%. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really confusing to me. I think that – I don't know how to feel. I really do like his defense. Um, you said that as well. I've heard people criticize his defense pretty heavily, but no, I like him out there on defense. I like how he, you can tell he's a very vocal guy and mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's kind of like a player coach. I feel like it's hard to say that for sure because I'm not in the mentality of these dudes that are on the floor, but you see him pointing a lot. You see him, you know, kind of giving orders a lot, barking at guys, telling them that they're not in the right spot, this and that. Um, I respect that. I think that Arisa does that to some extent as well. I respect that. Uh, not really seeing anything like that from Deadman, and we'll have to get into him in a second here. But, um, you know, in general, I feel like, yeah, what you're speaking to here about guys that aren't going to – the numbers just don't tell the whole story. That is definitely true. And I think that there's something to be said for low usage guys. In a weird way, I feel like you can draw an analogy between him and Harrison Barnes. And it's not going to work right now because Barnes has been playing very well, actually, and putting up some decent numbers. But there's a certain part of Barnes's game that doesn't translate to numbers because he's deferring a lot. And mm-hmm. just the choice to defer can actually be a very positive choice. So I, I think that that 
is there with Corey Joseph. I think that he's not doing too much a lot of the time. Perhaps that one of nine game against the Lakers, you know, could be the exception there. But I like a lot of the passes he makes. I think that it takes some time generally to get into the flow of it with a new team, especially when there's four new guys in the rotation, um, you know, and the other guys are very young and there's a lot, you know, I think we're underrating how much change is going on in this system uh, for the new players to go from Dave Yeager's system to Luke Walton's system and from Yeager's philosophy to Walton's philosophy. I think there's a lot of uh, growing pains. And I think that Corey Joseph is probably doing a pretty decent job of easing into them despite those, those shortcomings. And yeah, if he just gets to, if his numbers just kind of progress, I guess, to the mean, then I think, you know, he's not going to be a 15 points a game guy or even 12 probably with the role that he has once Fox is back. But, you know, if he, if he can give you eight points a game on decent efficiency, then I think the rest of his game looks, looks really solid. Um, yeah, I think you make a good yeah. point about how, you know, sometimes just not using possessions can be a, a a win that is not charted anywhere in a box score. What just shocks me so much is that when Fox goes out of the lineup, you think the guy that replaces him has to replace some of that usage. And you think that the players that Joseph is starting the game with are not even capable of picking up that usage, are not even capable of picking up that many shots. Because this, this is not a team that is like has a ton of talent right now. You're missing Bagley and Fox, two of your highest usage players. So to add somebody in the starting lineup who is incredibly low usage and only shooting 15%, again, it doesn't sound like it should work, but for some reason, for some reason it is. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, it, it definitely, it feels like you they put in Joseph and then everyone else kind of has to ramp up their usage because, you know, here's why it makes sense to me though the bench would be a barren wasteland without Bogdanovich, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there, what's, who's going to score off the bench for this team. If, if bogey's in the starting lineup with healed Barnes, the elites and Holmes, is anybody yeah. going to score? And with a Riza out too, I mean, that makes the, I mean, he played today, but he had missed the, uh, the Lakers game. I mean, I guess the hope is that Yogi picks up the scoring and we haven't talked about Yogi yet, but I do think he's been pretty good since Fox went down. Yeah, let's, let's talk about him because tonight he was a little bit more quiet or this afternoon is a little more quiet against the Celtics, but played a really big 29 minutes in L.A., um, was really nice on his, uh, you know, shot the ball really well, 14 points there. Uh, going back to the Trailblazers game, you know, gave a solid nine points, uh, really nice efficiency, um, you know, didn't hit a shot tonight, but was asked to do a little bit less. Yeah, I mean, I was not prepared, or let me say that the other way. I, I was prepared for Yogi to be very underwhelming, and I I think I feel sufficiently whelmed. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, it's weird. I, I think um, coming into the year, we sort of thought that Corey Joseph would be a great pairing on the bench with Bogdanovich for, for an, uh, another guard to have, someone yeah. that could take ball handling duties off of Bogdanovich's shoulders. But it kind of turns out that Bogdanovich wants the ball, and he kind of needs the ball. And if you're going to run a bench unit where Bogdanovich is the focal point, it sort of makes more sense to have a guy like Yogi, who has way more experience than Joseph does off the ball and is a way more competent shooter and scorer off the ball, um, to play with a bench unit that is led by Bogdanovich, who is going to handle the ball more than the guard that he's with. So 
in some ways it kind of creates an interesting problem for Luke Walton for when Fox comes back because if Yogi and Bogey create this chemistry off the bench where Bogdanovich is handling the ball and Yogi provides extra spacing for the bench unit and, a, and another score that Bogdanovich can use. I mean, like Corey Joseph is no good if you park him in the corner on the perimeter and let Bogdanovich create. But Yogi yeah. Ferrell is, is a much more competent four spacer and three point shooter. I mean, Yogi was a, I, I want I believe he was a 40% three point shooter last year in a season that some people considered sort of a down year for him. Um, Yogi's a very capable shooter. And again, if you're, if your bench unit is going to be Bogdanovich with the ball at the top and creating around picks and, and, and whatever, having Yogi out there as sort of the, the off guard kind of makes more sense than Joseph in a lot of ways. So that'll be something interesting to monitor. I know it's far down the road. Fox is going to be out for a while, but when he does come back, I wonder if, if Joseph, if Joseph's scoring numbers stay as low as they are and Yogi continues to play pretty well with that kind of energy space in the floor, working well with Bogdanovich off the bench. I'm curious to see what Luke Walton will do there. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's interesting because I've definitely been on the record saying that I want the ball out of Bud Dynavich's hands more often. Me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. He's just like turning turning such a corner with the ball in his hands. You know, I don't, I don't want to jinx it too much. But, yeah, I mean, that will have to be reevaluated. And another question, Mark, that's coming into this lineup is um, Marvin Bagley's return feels – somewhat imminent i think grant on the telecast tonight said he, he should be returning very soon um i don't know if there was any hyperbole to that but it could be a week or two you know um could be pretty soon and my i, I can't help but wonder how that will affect rashawn holmes because i feel personally that you can't have holmes and bagley in a lineup together for very often in a game because neither one can really shoot and so, you know, that, that leaves me wondering, do you just, does Holmes go to the bench? I mean, how would you handle that? It, it, when, say Barnes magically became 100% healthy right now, what's your starting lineup? Uh, or, you know, even because it's too easy to say, well, you know, give him a few games till he's fully back. But say, say he's healthy and, you know, he's in fully playing well, like does not need time to shake the rust off. Um, what are you doing with, with Marvin Bagley? Are you starting him? Are you putting Holmes on the bench? Are you putting Bielitsa on the bench? What are you doing? Can I tell you something a little hot takey? Oh, here we go. Um, I would put both Holmes and Bielitsa on the bench. <laughs> and I would start Bagley, oh. Bogey, Buddy, and Joseph. 
this, this is the Tony Zipteris super lineup. That is like my lineup fully realized without De'Aaron Fox. Because once Fox comes back, guess what? I would start Bagley, Barnes, Bogey, Buddy, and Fox. Um, and just leave the bench depleted. Um, just because I want to see those guys play together. But, uh, but I don't know. See here, it's a very interesting question because the Kings have been so hesitant to play Bagley at center. Like they, they just have yeah. not committed to that at all. So that makes me think that no matter how awkward the fit will be with Holmes, and I agree with you, it's such an awkward fit. Um, if the Kings are just telling themselves we are not playing this guy at center yet, then I think it almost isn't even a question because he'll he'll replace Bielitsa, right? I mean, do you do you see the Kings playing Bagley at center? I hope they will at some point. That's where I think is will be his best position eventually, if it, if it isn't already. I remember a preseason game against the Utah Jazz where he looked really good against Rudy Gobert, one of the bigger best centers in the NBA. And and while Gobert can overpower Bagley in the paint at times, if Bagley is playing as well as he's capable of playing, he can run the bigger centers off the court. So it, it's kind of a, a a game of, I don't know, chicken. Who's going who's gonna to adjust their lineup to the other player's strengths first? Um, and again, it was one preseason game against the Jazz where I thought Bagley really played well against Gobert. But that's the ideal, is if Bagley can play center and force teams to go small because Bagley's either beating their center off the court or is too quick off the dribble or too quick on, on his second bounce. Now, is Bagley good enough to impose his will to the point where he can play those big centers that should scare the Kings off the court? I don't know, but they have been so hesitant to even try it um, for a significant stretch, and they did go out and sign two centers this summer in Deadman and Holmes. It's hard for me to imagine them putting, Bag- putting Bagley in at center, as much as I, I would hope they do it, because like you said, the fit doesn't make a lot of sense. I would love to see Bagley play with Bielitsa if that's how it shook out. But I just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's something the Kings would seriously entertain. What do you think? Yeah, I'm torn on this. Um, I think that there's a chance. So I've definitely been on the Bagley as a five, that side of things for a very, very long time since pretty much his first game. And um, yeah, it does seem like there's a weird amount of resistance from the Kings to realize that as a as an opportunity as a possibility as a reality um but i wonder if that's like is is that like vlade saying that is that is that uh bagley senior saying that like who is doing that because i mean it doesn't make any sense and and it, it feels like i don't think that it's walton i feel like if if walton had his druthers he probably would be playing badly at the five a lot and he did he played five he uh, closed both games in India at the five. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like he was playing, he played the last eight minutes of their first preseason game. He was the only big man on the floor. So I think that maybe our conception or, or, or excuse me, our, our perception of Bagley as a five, as like not being a five, according to this organization, I think that may be a misconception. Um, That'd be great. I really, yeah. I mean, I think that that's a real possibility because we haven't seen Walton like get his teeth into this situation yet, um, outside of preseason where he did play a ton of five. So, yeah, I think that my best guess is that he replaces Holmes pretty much one for one, uh, and then Holmes goes to the bench and kind of eats both both Harry Giles and Edmonds' minutes to a large extent. 
um, because he's he's earned himself like a solid eighteen to twenty minutes uh, with you know very strong play played well. I mean, again, like coming off this Boston game, how do you not give that guy minutes, right? Yeah, I mean, he was yeah. yeah. He was magnificent, and like to sink two free throws to win a game. Um, yeah, that's something that like no king's ever done. So mm-hmm. definitely well done there. Definitely earning his minutes. Walton's definitely wanting to reward his type of play, that high energy, high effort play. So yeah, and I, I think what's interesting, and this might be a crazy thing, something we can kind of go out on here, is that I think the thing that the 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 motivating factor that may end up putting Bagley at the five is was the Kings signing a good modern center because they signed Deadman and he is so terrible that they're going to have to play badly at the five. Yeah. But then how do you, it's so tough because Holmes, I mean, who, who do you think has been better? Just player for player this season, Holmes or Bielitsa. They've both been very good. It is so hard to make that decision. Um, I, Jeez, it is so hard. I put this poll out there as well on Twitter, like who's having the best season among Kings. And I think it was like 38% Bielitsa, 36% Holmes, and 20-something percent to Barnes. Uh, And I I would say Holmes by a tiny margin because I think that – well, I guess I'm saying that kind of projecting forward as well. So I I guess you have to say Bielitsa's played better because he shot – the ever loving shit out of the ball and is like got a 70 something percent true shooting percentage. But I think in terms of what he's done, that's sustainable. I like what Holmes has shown going forward. Yeah. And Holmes, I mean, Holmes has been a much, uh, I, I think Holmes's offense has been great, but I think his impact on defense, maybe we're even underrating it because the Kings really turned themselves around as a defensive team. Um, not just when they replaced uh, Denman with Holmes, but I think Holmes has been a huge part of it. And I mean, not only did he get those game-winning free throws, he had the game-winning block in order to get fouled by Smart to get those free throws. And I'm just thinking now, like down the stretch, how are they going to take Holmes? Like if Holmes wasn't in this game against the Celtics down the stretch, if that was Marvin Bagley in that position, does Bagley get that block? And then does Bagley fight off Smart for that uh, rebound? Smart's a really strong, tough defender. We've yeah. talked about how Bagley needs to put on some weight and size in the paint to play center, you know, full, full time against the bigger, bigger guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like we're going to be putting off this decision until the exact moment that it has to happen. Just hoping one of these players, either be elites or Holmes, not hoping they go into a slump, but hoping the decision gets a little bit easier to make because every time I think in my head, all right, he's going to play center. I say to myself, well, how are we taking Holmes off the court? And then when right. I think, oh, play the four, then I'm thinking, how is this unit going to work with Bielitsa not at the four anymore? Because if you look at Bielitsa's role on offense, he is never in the paint. He's always either trailing on the perimeter for three or he's on the perimeter, like the slow up fake to the rim and then creating something off the bounce. Bielitsa is never in the paint unless he's crashing for offensive rebounds. So I don't even know how you would put Bagley in there and try and replicate the offense they've been running since Bagley went down, which is a large majority of the season. So I don't envy Walton's decision here. Um, but I think what's good for Walton is that no matter what he tries, we can kind of argue that it was the right move because it's so close that I, I don't think Walton can really uh, make an error here. You know what I mean? Like if, if he replaces uh, Bielitsa with Bagley, 
then we can easily say, well, Holmes has been awesome. Can't blame him there. And if he replaces Holmes with Bagley, we can say, well, Bielitsa is, is very necessary for the offense. Can't blame him there. So while Walton has a hard decision, I'm not sure he can really make the wrong one because it's so close. Personally, I think that it's got to be Holmes or Bagley, and it's one or the other. I, like I, To me, that is a wrong decision to say, I'm starting Bagley and Holmes, and I'm going to start two big guys that can't shoot. I think that's like a recipe for disaster personally, but I, I can absolutely be wrong about that. I think the decision is more Holmes versus Bagley, kind of one-to-one. Um, and Bielitsa has gotten a solid starting job because Deadman can't stretch the floor because he can't play. Like he can't, he can't, he literally can't do it anymore. It's crazy. So. His field goal percentage is ugly too. We, I mean, we talked about Joseph for the last three games. I feel like Deadman shooting like 20% on the entire year or something crazy like that. He's playing as bad as he possibly can, which I mean, it's okay because it can't get any worse. But yeah, 34% on field goals, 23% on threes. It's a full, like, this is a full band abducted by aliens, like replaced body double situation. Uh, like Freaky Friday, his, his like, nephew accidentally got swapped into his body and his nephew doesn't know how to play basketball. Like, there was a moment when Deadman had an open fast break. Like, someone, put, you know, passed it ahead to him on a fast break and he had a wide open dunk. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Deadman's going to, like, slip on a banana peel and knock himself out trying to dunk this basketball. Uh, to his uh, credit. <laughs> yeah, my favorite yeah. Deadman error this year was uh, – <laughs> I feel like we're at, like, a, some kind of meeting or something. But my favorite Deadman <laughs> error this year was when um, – I think it was either tonight or the game against the Lakers where someone passed the – there was only a few seconds left on the shot clock, and someone passed the ball to Deadman. And instead of, like, composing himself and passing it to someone else, he, like, ooped the pass – out of bounds. Like he was trying to pass it back to the person who inbounded it to him. Yeah. But he just threw the ball away for like, for no reason with like seven seconds left on the clock. It was absurd. That's what I bet you're right. It's like he forgot how to play basketball. Yeah. I think I'm going to stick on my freaky Fridays. This is a freaky Friday. Like someone find, what is it? Like it's a Chinese restaurant with the Lindsay Lohan vehicle. Um, Something poor, something terrible has happened to this poor man. And my favorite error was when he came into the game today with his sweatpants on. And you're just like, oh, Deadman's back at it. Deadman's in this game. Does Uh, he even know he's a basketball player? I don't like. Has he forgotten? Honestly, honestly. Um, But yeah, let's look ahead here real quick. Uh, Just got a couple minutes left with you here, Tony. But next game, Tuesday night, the Suns are in town. This is the team that embarrassed the Kings on opening night in Phoenix. Do you think that the Kings will win this game? And listen, let me put this out there for more context. The seven and four Phoenix Suns. I think the Kings win tonight, or not tonight, that game. I feel really confident about that. I was looking at the schedule. Maybe I'm just feeling high off this win against Boston. Very possible. Um, but the Suns beat the Kings in Phoenix. I'm sure the Kings are Kings remember that. They have plenty of ties with this team. Bogey was drafted by the Suns. Igor was fired by the Suns. Rashawn Holmes was uh, not kept, even though he was an unrestricted free agent. The Phoenix Suns did not keep him. Um, they have plenty of reasons to go out there and destroy this team. And now they're at home. Now they're playing well. I know they don't have Fox. Maybe they'll have Bagley. We haven't heard anything, but people keep saying he's so he's so close. 
I'm just speculating completely. I don't expect him to play, but if he did, it wouldn't shock me. I think that's a win. And I, I don't know. I'm, I like how this team is playing. I like the connections they have with Phoenix. I think this is a good revenge game for the Kings, and I think they're, they'll pick up a win at home. Yeah, I'm going to have to leave that to you because I have lost my privileges in talking about the Suns after talking like the the most shit about them before opening night um, and getting my DMs filled with King, with Suns fans just, just tearing me to shreds. So uh, you said it, not me, but thank you so much, Tony, for joining us. Um, let's make sure that we get some plugs out there for you. I know on Twitter you were at Tony Zipteris. Um, but where can the people, the good people listening, read your work? Uh, as always, you can go check out SacktownRoyalty.com, uh, where Richard is also at, and a bunch of our other uh, Kings uh, blogger friends. Um, I think we've done some really nice work this year. Uh, shout out to Will and his previews. I think previews are so hard to make entertaining, and if you're not reading Will's previews for every game, you're doing something wrong. So go to Sacktown Royalty, read Will, read the rest of us. Um, and go Kings. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.